So good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Drones for Good podcast. Uh, my name's Andrew Crow, as you know, and uh, and here today I'm here with Tristan Stevenson from StevTech. How are you, Tristan? How are you doing? Good. Good, thanks, Andrew. Mate, I'm pretty pumped to have you here. Um, we don't know each other that well, actually, and uh, but you are a, a classmate, uh, which we'll get into, of Rob Sutton, who who is the director of Mirrigan, um, and, and a bunch of uh, a bunch of sort of common friends around that as well. So hey, welcome along, and, and I know people are going to be interested in, in what we're going to talk about. Thank you. I'm glad that Rob's not on here because it'd probably have all my secrets to tell. Him. We don't need that that going. Smartest, on here. Thank you very much. smartest guy in the world as well. He'll put us all to shame. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, how are you going with COVID? How's uh, how's things happening? You're out. You're out west, aren't you? And is it have you had much impact out there? How's everything going? Yeah, no, it's a good place for an apocalypse out here. There's plenty of uh, <laughs> space, plenty of social distancing if you want it. Um, but no, the business is. Uh, was impacted a little bit initially. We had some work down in South Australia when that, that got locked out and then we've, we've got work this week actually in Victoria and we all know what's going on down there at the mm. moment. Um, but we've managed to, <clears throat> aside from a short dip around that sort of March, April sort of time frame, we've, we've actually done pretty well because we work primarily in agriculture and it's an essential industry so we can still get out and do stuff which is pretty handy. So as I said, we've got two guys down in Victoria now doing about 1,500 k's during the week. Um, wow! Don't do any of those weird, weird spots, but we have um, we've been luckier than most, I think, because of you know being in agriculture and being out where we are means that we can still keep functioning. Yeah, cool. And and where are you? You're out in parks, sort of way, are you? I am. Yeah. So I've got <clears throat> I'm in parks. Got some guys down in the Riverina, and then some other guys up in in Queensland as well. Cool. Maybe we'll get to that a bit later on and, and uh, potentially you can explain to, uh, to our listeners where Parks is. I'm sure there's a few people wondering where, where the hell that is. But hey, um, look, let's crack into it. And ladies and gents, today we're, um, I'm tra- chatting to Tristan um, over Zoom. We're, we're still doing the social distancing thing and um, having a good time doing podcasts via distance, which has been a, a little bit different. So hopefully everyone can hear us all right. It, it sounds good from this end and, um, and hopefully it goes okay. So Tristan, um, as I know, your background's Army. So you've, uh, you've done a bunch of stuff in Army and now you're running um, this awesome uh, agricultural-type drone organisation that we'll get into. But first of all, I'm keen to hear, how did you, how did you get into that? How the hell did you get from uh, you know, the Royal Military College Duntroon and, and what's your background right through until, uh, until running this? Well, I actually started out here. So I grew up on a farm in central west New South Wales, um, you know, in... Yeah, actually, just outside of Parks. <clears throat> then I went. Then I went off to the army. Spent around about twenty years in the military. Um, a lot of what, a lot of what I was doing there was consuming really high end data. So I was in sort of the special forces area, um, and a lot of what we did was, you know, grabbing um, vast arrays of different kinds of data sets, including from drones, um, and then making decisions and, and acting on those decisions in in, a, in an environment. So. Uh, towards the back end of the career, I, I transitioned more into sort of future plans um, sort of role. And a lot of what we did in that role was look at themes, understand where the globe was heading, where where, where thematically, like, you know, conflict was going to head. <clears throat> and it struck me during that, during that time that all those sort of themes that were, were, were coming to fruition were actually applicable in agriculture too. So things like, you know, robotics, um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, drones, resource scarcity, um, population growth, uh, all those sort of key things that we were looking at in the military to make sure that we were poised to, to meet <coughs> were ones that were relevant in agriculture. And, and I could see that agriculture was on the cusp of um, really a, another sort of revolution in how they're going to do business. There's a lot of technology in agriculture currently, but I could see that, you know, 
drones, uh, machine learning, <coughs> artificial intelligence was really going to change the way that agriculture worked. Um, and really, and so what I wanted to do was get out and basically assist that process for Australian farmers to make sure that you know those gains were realised um, through the use of things like drones and 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 you know imaging and that sort of thing. So I. I chose drones. <clears throat> I didn't own a drone before uh, before starting this <laughs> business, which I think is actually the perfect way to go, <laughs> because I'm more focused on information and, and data and making sure that that um, you know that could you know be collected, analysed, and then applied in, into into the paddock. So yeah, you don't normally start a drone business when you don't fly drones, but I thought that they were just the vehicle for a collection of data and the data and the way that it was used and the decision making was actually the the real point of what of the business. So, so yeah, <clears throat> established the business in 2016 and um, uh, directly before one of the most crushing droughts in Australian history, which is good. <laughs> not really, not really that good, not really a good way to start, but but we have, uh, we have in, you know, increased in size and increased in revenue and increased in, in, in customer base throughout that time steadily, which is pretty good testament to the, the need for this data, if people are willing to pay for it in the middle of a crushing drought when there's not much money in agriculture, mm. then we know that, that it's an important thing for, for their for their business. And I think you hit on uh, you hit on something pretty important there that I want to I just want to loop back to, and that was around uh, around the data and the fact that you haven't really you know flown drones before. You're not, you're not a drone expert, but it's all about the effect, and and that's a term that we you know we all used a lot in the military. Don't worry about the platform; just tell me the effect you're after. And I guess that that's where you've sort of taken that thinking too. Let's not worry about whether it's a drone, whether it's an autonomous land vehicle, whether it's an underwater vehicle. What's the effect? What's the data we need to to make decisions? Is that is that how you kind of saw it? 100%. So, and so whilst we do focus primarily on drones, like that's what we actually do to, you know, use to, to gather all our information, <clears throat> that's, not, that's not all we gather though. We gather, you know, intelligence data or, uh, sorry, satellite data, I should say, or anything from like soil data, yield data, whatever, <clears throat> whatever data there is available, we'll, we'll use it in, if that's what the customer desires. But we've, we've chose drones because it was, I think, the real unrealised data set out there, like a really high-res, really high-end data set, which wasn't being utilised correctly. Um, and and we could see it was obvious that in the next, you know, five or ten years that that data set was going to be much easier to collect than it was, you know, it, when we started in 2016. And someone I spoke to on this podcast, um, Andrew Chapman from AUAV, um, one of the quotes that he kind of mentioned was, you know, AUAV really is a data company masquerading as a drone company. And I feel you're kind of in a similar boat. You know, again, the drone is the delivery platform, but the data is how we actually make our decisions. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And it's all, about, it's all about making sure that data can be used in a very, very practical way. So it can be, you can be as lofty and as intelligent and, and as like, you know, globally focused as you want, <clears throat> but if it doesn't actually get to the point where it's being used in the field, then there's no point for having it. So that's where we come in really at that ground level to translate some of these really lofty technologies in the practical application. So from, from special forces officer to, uh, to farmer uh, or, or farmer assistant, um, that's not, not a bad little change of career. Yeah, and it's actually going from one, one sort of role to the other. So in that, in that role where I was, you know, either an operations officer or a commander of things, I was the consumer of that information. So mm -hmm. drone guys would come to me or satellite guys or human intelligence guys or whatever and they would be the, the person sort of pushing their little their little widget, their little thing, and I was the consumer. I'm in I'm in the other seat now. So I'm I'm the guy who is pushing a technology onto decision makers 
and I know exactly how annoying it is when someone comes as a single issue zealot and says, "Look, this is this drone is going to solve all your problems." And like, no, it's not, mate. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen at all. That. That's right. So I don't do that. If uh, if I think that, for instance, a solution is better achieved by like some satellite data or yield data or whatever, then I'll tell them straight up because I don't want to be doing things that are not sort of really drone specific. Like if it needs. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, I think that's a really important um, thing for our industry and I only posted a thing yesterday on LinkedIn about this, that we need to ensure we continue to build trust and, and, uh, and honesty within, within, the, you know, within our industry. And, you know, I, I hear you there where you sort of say, you know what, at, at times we're not the best option. You know, we had a client in, in Sydney who wanted to do some stuff, um, does, doesn't particularly matter what, but we sort of said, you know what, drones aren't the best way to, to achieve the effect. Again, the effect you're looking for, drones are not the best outcome no doubt someone will come along and say that you should definitely use this drone to achieve that outcome because they're trying to sell a specific product. But I think it's really important to do what you just explained, which is, you know, at times we're not the best outcome. Um, let's, let's use a different piece of technology for that. 100%. And like that, not only did we come in at a, at a, in the middle of a crushing or the start of a crushing drought, we also came in <laughs> off the back of exactly that. Like, you know, drone providers had come and sort of done a scorched earth policy of promising the world and delivering nothing. And so there was already like a... A bit of an aversion in in parts of agriculture to listening to guys talk about drones. So that's yeah. why when I talk to customers, <clears throat> I rarely actually mention the drone. We more talk about the data. <clears throat> they are, they are, they want to see it often and they want to understand what its capabilities are. But that's not really what I talk about. What I talk about is the data that they'll get at the end of this. Yeah, cool. Um, and I guess the other the other point I wanted to hit on you sort of mentioned was around um, the amount of data. So no doubt we've, we've seen it in the military as well where people are just overloaded with information and they can't really do anything with that information. And, you know, to, to break it down to the most uh, basic level, you know, there's information, but then analysed information actually gives us some level of intelligence to actually go and do something. Um, is that where you guys assist as well? You're not, you're not just pumping, you know, a ton of data to a client. You're actually analysing the data to provide them, you know, the intelligence. What does it actually mean? What's the so what of that data set? Yeah, no, look, 100%, particularly in, in roles in the military like operations officers or, you know, officer commandings or whatever, <clears throat> when you have someone come in with an absolute pile of data, <laughs> as an operations officer, it was often my job just to really, you know, smash them back into a, into a box and be like, all right, this, this dude who has got 15 meetings today doesn't want to hear, you know, two <laughs> hours about how cool your little bit of, you know, widget is to collecting information. What he wants is like the highlights up front and a really <laughs> and something to make a decision off. Like that's it. He doesn't care. So um, so that's what we do. So we 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 you know we've been in that position. So we're in a different position now. And that's exactly what we do. So I collect absolute mountains of data. What I give to customers though is very very light light uh, files that they can use <clears throat> in tractors or whatever. Either way, it's it's an analysed product. It's not the it's not the, the full data set. If they want the full data set, we provide it to them. We have a cloud based system, but um, that's not what they want. They want to make decisions quickly and accurately. Um, and, and so we talk a lot at Meridian around uh, the problem being central to the solution. So we're problem-centric solutions, not, solu not solution-centric solution, if you know what I mean in that case. So talking about StevTech, what, um, what do you guys do? You know, it's all well and good to go and look at a, at a website and have a bit of a read about stuff. What do you guys do? And, and I guess more importantly, what problem are you trying to solve for, uh, for these farmers who, you know, there's not a lot, not a lot of cash, you know, floating around necessarily and um, they're not massive companies all the time. What, what, are you, what are you trying to do? How are you trying to make their lives better or easier? Yeah, so at, at the sort of macro level, what we do is we conduct like global scans for the highest tech sort of uh, options that are available. So the highest <clears throat> tech solutions that are available, and then we make uh, 
we make simple solutions out of them for Aussie farmers. So we, we'll do a global scan, figure out what's best for horticulture, what's best for broadacre, what's best for whatever, <coughs> figure out what it is, see if we can apply it in an Australian context. And the Australian context is often harsher and bigger than many other contexts. And then we, we bridge that gap between these really big lofty sort of uh, global companies who, who spend millions and millions of bucks in R&D and, pr and produce a solution that is, you know, works in 90%, 80% of the, of the cases or whatever, we translate that into reality on the ground. So we do it, we look for advanced tech, <coughs> provide simple solutions for Aussie farmers, essentially. Where's that advanced tech coming from mainly? Well, all over the shop, actually. So in horticulture, we're working with um, a South African company called Aerobotics to deliver some really high-end sort of um, uh, per tree analytics to, to things like, you know, orchards and, and vineyards. Uh, in Broadacre, we're working with uh, Stratus Imaging and, and Tyrannus to do, um, which is an Israeli company, Tyrannus is, to do some, <clears throat> to bring 0.3 millimeter resolution imagery um, to, to farmers. So what that means is we basically scan, uh, sample across the whole crop, get this really, really high res information, and then run an uh, artificial intelligence algorithm over the top to just determine what's happening in that paddock. So it'll give you insect damage, you know, nutrient deficiencies, weeds, all sorts of things that you know, previously you haven't been able to do. So that's, that's Israel. And, and you said 0.3 millimeter. Correct, yeah. So like a that's very high res photo <laughs> take standing above a crop, <laughs> you basically get that you know, a thousand hectares a day we can do with a single drone. We've got three of them. Um, and and that's run through, you know, through an artificial intelligence algorithm to figure out what's actually happening in that paddock and provide the, the, the data on a web-based portal, which is really user-friendly user and you can do all sorts of stuff from. So that's, and that's sorry to go slightly off, off topic here, but I'm interested in this, uh, this level of resolution too, which we might get to later. But so when you're flying that type of mission, what altitude are you kind of flying at? How, how close to the ground are you? Not high enough. So we're only, <laughs> we're only flying at about 15 metres, like 12 to 15 okay. metres in what we're doing. The, the drone's going about 40 k's an hour um, and, it's, and it's got a special system. Like it's, a, it's a sort of two kilo pod that hangs under our, under our drone and it, um, it's got a special system inside which <clears throat> compensates for that speed and just takes these really crystal clear images. And they're just normal standard images and then those images are put through a machine learning algorithm to figure out what's happening in those images and then, you know, you can do whole paddock level analysis on that. So you've got a bunch of broadleaf weeds over here, you've got some grass weeds over here, you've got some insect damage over here, you've got nutrient deficiencies over there <clears throat> and you can basically isolate out all those layers and, um, and figure out what you want to do with that paddock. So it's a really, a really revolutionary sort of way of using a drone and exactly what drones are good for producing that really, really high res imagery and then combining that with machine learning or artificial intelligence to produce, you know, really clear outcomes for the, for the customer. And so is that, a, uh, is that type of mission you're talking about there and that type of data, what's the, what's the benefit, I guess, of doing that? Is the idea that we're now, we're using, um, we're using resources more efficiently to then go and spray for things, we're targeting things, we're getting things early before they come a problem. What are we, what are we trying to solve there? So it's, there's, there's a couple of things in a salt. So if you're, a, if you're if there's an agronomist who has a, a bunch of different farmers that he's consulting to to look after their the growth of their crops, he's the guy that he or she is the guy that that really has to manage that. And if they if they have really high high tempo periods of the growing cycle, like let's say with canola, uh, in the first couple of weeks of it growing, if it gets attacked by an insect, whole portions of that paddock will not yield. So they have to go around and do crop inspections physically in the winter on quad bikes, motorbikes, whatever, going through crops, 
hours and hours and hours. So <clears throat> for that consulting agronomist, they uh, they can really only do a certain number of hectares with their physical manpower assets. Mm. They've got to go check that paddock once a week, and if they've got 50 paddocks, they've got to check 50 paddocks a week. <clears throat> if we can basically take a couple of those checks away from that agronomist, they can then expand their their um, their their holding like mm. uh, because of how much they can actually get across. So instead of having to do all those physical checks themselves, <clears throat> we can do it much more uniformly. It's using a machine to sample the entirety of the paddock, whereas they might only check five, ten, twenty percent of the paddock. We can check the whole paddock and allow them to. Oh, okay. So they're only sampling, yeah. Whereas you guys can do a much larger area over a much much shorter time. I'm assuming too. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, if you think about it, like some of these agronomists run, you know, they, they manage, uh, you know, 20,000 hectares of, of cropping land, you know, getting around that every week would be quite quite a challenge. So I can't even I can't even imagine how big that is, to be honest. <laughs> it sounds, yeah, that's right. And I'm sure it's not the biggest. <laughs> yeah. And from the farmer's point of view, like, uh, it's it's critical that, um, you know, certain times of the year they have the right information to do the right things. Like, if, they, if there is an outbreak of pests in, in their crop, they may not get to it until... But until it's taken out, you know, a number of hectares, which is which is critical critical for their yield, um, and the, and even even at a lower level, if they're they're, they're spraying um, spraying out sort of weeds and whatever, we can determine where where the weeds are by variety, and these and these sort of sprays can cost you know upwards of forty bucks a hectare. And if you've got a you know you do the maths, you've got a four hundred hectare paddock, mm. forty bucks a hectare. If you can save half of that or a third of that, then um, you're saving huge amounts of money. So there's yeah, there's a couple of different ways that it, it adds value, um, but uh, you know, saving money is not always the aim. Increasing yield is often often the aim, but um, it's uh, it's certainly a revolutionary way of using drones in terms of just being able to get across that vast amount of area uh, quickly at that level of resolution is is pretty dramatic. Yeah, and so for us uh, non-farming type, um, can can you explain the difference between broadacre and horticulture? You know, I saw they're they're on your website. I, I think I get the difference. Um, what 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 are, what are sort of the main differences there? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so horticulture on the website, we just refer to that as your sort of tree crops and your vineyards and that sort of thing. So, you know, oranges, <coughs> apples, blueberries, all that sort of stuff, all sort of fits in the, the horticulture side. And then broadacre is just the the traditional cereal. Uh, you know, from things like wheat, barley, cotton, canola, <clears throat> all that fits into the, the broadacre category. So that's where you're sort of ploughing the field each year, spraying out, you know, spraying out bugs and all that sort of stuff rather than um, rather than the tree crop side, which is the horticulture side we also look into. Yeah, cool. And so you are, and, and you're based out in parks. So from memory, parks is famous for the dish. Is that right? <clears throat> that's it. Yep. You can't go through parks without stopping up. <laughs> I think I did a school excursion out there in about year six at some point too. Yep. And yeah, where's the rest of the team? You mentioned there uh, you've got some guys around the country too. Yeah, we've got, some, we've got a, a guy down in, uh, in, uh, in the Riverina. Um, we've got, we're putting a guy down into the Riverlands. So the Riverina is sort of the Griffith, you know, Wagga kind of Leeton area. And in the Riverlands, the Mildura, sort of Loxton kind of border of New South Wales, Victoria and, and South Australia there. And we've also got um, a guy up in... Uh, up in the Sunshine Coast, to where sort of starting to use a bit more, and then we have some other um, some other uh, contractors that we use occasionally. So that's sort of ma- our main our main focus, though, is Central West Riverina Riverlands kind of area. At the it's a nice spot down that uh, down that Riverina and Riverlands. I, I spent a year down there as a platoon commander at Kapuka and, and had a ball playing rugby, and I, I still remember a game playing against Griffith and all the fruit pickers. Um, there was a bunch yeah. of you know, enormous Islanders that, that came out and played against us, and and we got destroyed by uh, by these boys down there. It was it was good times actually. 
Yeah, lots of Islanders down there. They got good rugby teams down there. <laughs> they do, they do. So, um, so I'm sure there's a few people, you know, thinking about the, this whole agricultural space and and how we can apply drones and do stuff. Where where are the bang for buck at the moment? You know, people people that might just want to dip their toe in or have a bit of a look. Where where would you sort of be thinking or advising people to have a crack? And 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 where is their best bang for buck in that area? Depends what you want to do. If you want to save money, I think one of the things that we offer is a, <clears throat> a weed detection capability so uh, after harvest before sowing there's this period in the broadacre uh, world <clears throat> where paddocks go into fallow paddocks need to be controlled for weeds essentially so they don't want any weeds growing so all the moisture stays within the soil profile all the nutrients stay within the soil profile and that can be quite an expensive endeavor so sort of between december and april <clears throat> these paddocks have to be controlled for weeds so you can you know there's multiple ways of doing that um, a lot a lot of what happens currently in Australia is they just spray those paddocks out <clears throat> three or four times in that period to make sure that nothing grows so that so that the soil can be at its, at its peak readiness for to accept the seed in, in sowing and they're um, just spraying the entire field they're, they're not discriminating at this point yep that's right yeah so <clears throat> so what we do is we there's a bunch of systems out there on on tractors and on booms whatever that can do something similar but what we provide, yeah, and they're obviously expensive to set up. Um, all we provide, we basically scan the entire paddock, uh, find all the weeds within the paddock, and we turn that into a file which can go into a spray rig, and then they just spray the weeds and leave those areas that are not covered with weeds alone. So, yeah, we've, we've had sort of, I mean, people people sort of further out west in particular will still spray their paddock when there's less than 10% sort of weeds in that paddock. So they'll spray the entirety of the paddock to get those big melons, those big sort of things that are, sucking out the moisture and the nutrients from the profile. So we've had examples where we've saved 90% uh, chemical use. Um, and like some of those big operators out there might be spraying almost a million bucks of chemical in a year. <clears throat> and if you can, you know, even reduce that by half, you're doing pretty well. So that's, that's, yeah, that's a low-hanging fruit, easiest bang for buck. But certainly the, the work we do in horticulture, I think, is proving to be really, really critical. One of the, <clears throat> one of the things we do um, through aerobotics, uh, with uh, citrus is we can get the per tree analytics. So we basically scan the whole orchard, find out how many trees are there, how many are missing, what size of the canopy, what individual health each tree has <clears throat> at a sort of large level. And then later in the season, two months before they even harvest, we can send the drone over uh, and select certain trees to, to sample and it'll, it'll produce a yield estimation. So it'll say at, at harvest time, two months from now, <clears throat> your, your oranges will be this particular size and this sort of colour makeup across the whole the whole the whole paddock across their whole farming operation, if you want. So for them, it's really cool because they can then talk to the pack house and say, "This is the size we're we're going to be achieving." So can you make sure that the export markets for those particular sizes sizes are, are figured out so that you know it really produces like a. It's not. I mean, agronomically, they can they can have a crack at, at trying to um, impact that size in that last two months. But where it really matters is, is actually the, the supply chain, making sure they know how many oranges are going to be coming into the pack house at what time and at what size so they can set up all their distribution networks. Really it's crazy to think that as we wander down to Coles and, and pick up ourselves some, uh, some fruit and veg that all this is, is potentially gone on in the background to, um, to, I guess, you know, make sure I, I, I care less about, you know, Coles making profit but making sure our farmers are making profit uh, for themselves as well. It's, it's pretty cool to think about. Yeah, no, it is. It's awesome because, yeah, you, you, you know, pick up an orange at the supermarket, you wouldn't think that was what was going on in the background. 
And it's funny because, you know, I think that agriculture in Australia kind of um, not, not gets pushed to the side, but people just forget about it. It just kind of happens. And I think that is because of the whole, I can wander down to Coles and pick up whatever I want, whenever I want it. Um, you know, even I think this whole COVID thing has kind of proven that our primary, you know, primary resources, and let's not talk about mining, let's talk about, you know, agriculture more so, is so important to this country and, and how much we export as well. It's, um, it's, it's a pretty cool endeavour. Yeah, it's a great. It's actually a really cool uh, vertical to be involved in. I really enjoy it. Like having grown up on it, obviously I have a, I have a massive sort of uh, a bias towards it. But <laughs> it's great to be back in it because you know not just the the problems you're solving are are, are interesting and are actually critical because it's you know feeding the global population. But it's mm. people within the industry too are really positive and really really uh, common sense and just great to actually work with. So they're pretty cool. So what are we going to see in the future? What's the, what's the future of this area? What do you, what do you think is coming out? You know, if you could, if you could forecast the 2023, 2025, what are, what are we doing? Like from a step tech perspective, what we're trying to do is make drones as boring as soil probes. <laughs> so that's what we're doing. <laughs> so, don't say that. We all pretend that they're awesome. <laughs> correct. But, uh, I, don't think I don't think it's doing us any favours in that Because, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, so, soil probes, I mean, if you speak to like a, uh, uh, Sam Ayres from Metos, uh, you know, who, who does all sorts of infield telemetry, he'll tell you that no, no doubt that soil probes are exciting. And you know what? The data that comes from them is exciting because it's really critical data. But you don't see a soil probe on the front page of like the Ag Tech Times or whatever the, you know, <laughs> No one holds a soil probe, dirty old soil probe up. But they, every, every sort of Ag Tech thing you have has got some crappy little. Phantom Four floating around, and that's not what <coughs> drones and agriculture is about. Um, mm. So yeah, that's our aim to make make them as, as boring as soil probes. And what I mean by that is, I think we'll transition from being sort of drone pilots in inverted commas <coughs> uh, to being you know uh, service managers, basically people who go around and, and fix fix issues with with um, with infield telemetry. In, in sorry, I should say drone infield telemetry. So where <coughs> where we're getting to is drones in boxes on the sides of fields that can collect data autonomously and just mm. produce a really streamlined uh, decision-making cycle for the farmer. So we've already got inroads into that. We're, we're actually um, uh, partnering with another organisation to bring in um, a drone called Hazmat Drones, a, a drone in a box um, capability into Australia, which um, which will we, one of the things that I'll be looking at is, is transitioning that into, into, into agriculture. I mean, you think about that <coughs> 0.3, um, millimeter resolution imagery we were talking about before that could be collected daily, and then because mm. the analysis of that is through machine learning and an automated system, <clears throat> there's no real restriction to how much data you collect, how much data you analyze, and then the outputs you give. So I think that's where that's where we'll go. We'll go from being having to go out, you know, drive three hours to a paddock, fly a drone around, whatever. Um, being essentially running a system of uh, of telemetry systems, drone telemetry, <coughs> that are located in a paddock and able to automatically and autonomously collect data and produce a, an outcome, a, a key information requirement to a farmer, um, you know, every day if they want to. And even to a point, I guess, where um, the farmer may not even know it's happening. Well, obviously, they know it's happening, but it, it doesn't impact their, their time at all. They, they go and potentially fly at night. They fly during the day. It doesn't matter. And potentially only then reports back when, the, when an issue is identified. Not, you know, It doesn't just give the farmer a bunch of data that needs to be analysed. The, the data's already analysed, and here's your, here's your outcome. That's right. And, and it's already happening in soil probes and weather stations and a whole bunch of other telemetry systems in, in agriculture right now. I just see it as another one. Yep. 
that makes a bit of sense. Do you see, um, do you think we're going to overcome the issue of, you know, CASA regulations and requirements and autonomous, you know, aircraft and, and all that sort of stuff? Do you think that, I think it's probably going to come quicker in agriculture than it's going to come, you know, in, in built up environments. What's your thoughts on, on that into the future? Yeah, no, 100%. I think I'm in a perfect position for this at the moment because I saw that the CASA just put out like a, a BV loss uh, line, basically excluding you know, the whole of the East Coast and, you know, any populated centre, <clears throat> we're right in the place where they're happy to start testing this stuff. In fact, yep. about 50 k's from where I am now, they're, they're going to start testing uh, flying cars out at Narromine. Um, okay. So, yeah, I think <clears throat> I think CASA has an appetite for that sort of thing in the right context. And agriculture is a perfect context. Because, I mean, I've been out on jobs where you <clears throat> do, you know, five or six paddocks in a couple of days and you don't see a single human. Uh, so yeah. It's a perfect environment. It's got to be, you know, surrounded by a proper risk framework and a proper regulations and all that sort of stuff. But there's no, there's no reason you couldn't have that out in some of these farms. It's a perfect environment for it. And I, you know, you think back to the barriers for some of this stuff and and why people don't want to see this. You know, they don't want to see it because uh, there's the potential of impact with with manned aircraft. You're flying at 15 meters or 30 meters. That's not going to happen. You know, they're worried about noise. No, no one cares about noise when you're sitting you know at the back of at the back of parks as well and all those other things so yeah you're right you're definitely in a, in a good position for it that's for sure no well there still is risk for for that the aircraft thing even at 15 meters in fact the aircraft probably fly below below you at 15 meters with some of the crop <laughs> but the good news there is that they're you know they're the crop dusting companies that they're all very aviation safety conscious and, and they <clears throat> and you know you just when I go to a region, I call them up anyway. I'll, I'll call up the whoever's the crop dusting company in town. We'll just you know liaise with them. So that would just form part of its uh, part of the risk assessment. But yeah, they <laughs> you do have some fairly low flying aircraft around around where where I work. That's pretty cool. Um, do you see any game changes coming as well? Now you mentioned a couple there, I guess. But but what is the the, the game changer? What's really going to change the game for for our farmers in regards to these types of technologies? Do you think? I, I do think that it's going to be. Um, you know, the, the drone in the box or the, the, the remotely mm -hmm. autonomous system. I just think that <clears throat> at the moment, the price point that I have to go in with is um, wh whatever we go in with, it always makes sense in terms of like those, that chemical reduction thing. It always makes 100% sense, but I can just see it being reduced to such a small fee <clears throat> once we have systems in place. Like once a farm, either farmer, you know, has that system in, in, their, in their paddock that can be just you know, used completely remotely, I think that'll change. It'll change things dramatically. Because like, mm. if you're using satellites or even if you're using planes to image things, you can only get to a certain resolution just by the nature of, you know, obscuration in the atmosphere and, 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 the, and the cost of those optics. But when you have a drone and it can operate whenever off the side of a paddock, then, you, then you'll see that data flow really start to impact the, the farmer's bottom line. Mm. How do you go, um, talking about barriers to, to some of this technology, so... I guess a broad question to begin with, are farmers receptive of technology? Yes, but farmers are like any other organisation, any other industry, I suppose. There's huge, huge spectrum. So yep. there's a spectrum of guys who are <clears throat> avidly hunting you down and asking you, right, I need you out here to do this and that and how can you do that and rah, rah. There's farmers on the other end who just couldn't care. Like they've been doing it mm. the same way <clears throat> and it makes sense for them because they're still making money so they must be doing something right. Yep. <laughs> everyone in between. <clears throat> everyone absolutely in between. So... But, it, but because of the, the nature of my business, I seem to interact mostly with that right-hand right hand edge of the, of the market, the guys who are actively looking for it, you know. 
So is that a new generation of farmer, or are you, are you ask are you seeing the you know the older generation of farmers um, in, you know, embracing and adopting this stuff as well? Uh, honestly, it, it's it's all of the above. So I, <clears throat> I mean, I've worked for sort of you know guys who are sixties, sort of seventies kind of thing. They're, they're probably less so. They they probably make sure that their their son or whoever or daughter is sort of you know supervising them while they're. <laughs> but no, certainly like I think around the, the age age group of like probably thirty five to forty five is, is where most of the people who, who I mm. interact with are, I think. Yeah. Because I've interacted with a, with a couple of these guys up here in Queensland, and um, I went to a um, I can't remember what it was called now. It was in Maryborough, and it was kind of like a showcase of, of drones in agriculture. And I remember speaking to a guy up there, and I said, "You know, you'd be, you'd be loving this sort of stuff." And he goes, "No, I've got no interest in it. You know, I like to get out on, I like it on the tractor and going for a drive and having a look around and see it with my two eyes. I don't trust this stuff. You know, I've been doing it forever. Um, I'm sure that's that's some barriers that, that you come across, but you know, some some people you're just never going to be able to you know sell." sell as in you know explain the technology to them um that, that it's that beneficial yeah 100 percent, and that's i don't even bother sort of um <clears throat> trying to push uh, this on to people who don't really want it where i go is where often where we get the, the best bang for buck is where there's a lot of inputs going in so if you've got to <clears throat> use a lot of water it's expensive or a lot of labor mm. expensive then we can do some very significant things to reduce those costs and um and that's where we find the best bang for buck there they're searching for solutions to make their, you know, improve their bottom line. Do you see, um, what, what sort of issues do you see coming up into the future or, or what barriers um, to adoption and implementation are you seeing at the moment or, or is there any? Uh, obviously, the CASA regulations, are, <clears throat> you know, are there. And so for, for some of the sizes of, of paddocks that we get across, it can be quite difficult to, to do that, you know, in a way that sort of makes sense. <clears throat> um, so... But I think those, those, I think where we are, those those regulations will become more and more practical as time goes on. So um, I, I don't see any huge barriers to that in agriculture. Uh, I really see just as I just see opportunities. Now, my wife calls me an, an eternal optimist, so that's just who I am. That's good. <laughs> I, that's good. Yeah. We need that. <laughs> exactly. It's a good way to be. But I do see like one of the huge advantages is you know as I said, having that infield infield system. But then the combinations we're finding with artificial intelligence and with uh, machine learning, you know, in terms of imagery, is just dramatic. Like, for instance, the other day we, we did a, a scan for a, uh, a field day <coughs> where we looked uh, to try and isolate the ryegrass, which is a problem, out of the wheat. So there's like wheat and ryegrass actually fairly similar <coughs> in terms of what the individual plant looks like, but the ryegrass was clumping. So we could determine visually there's a difference. So we were able to scan that run that through an artificial intelligence program to identify all those things, and then at scale, identify all the ryegrass within this wheat crop, which is something that, you know, people are spending a lot of money on doing. You know, it's called green-on-green green sort of technology, uh, and we were able to do that with this fairly advanced AI software that we'd come across, um, you know, within a very short time frame. So I think that's, that's where the real advance is going to come, combining this high-res imagery with some really complicated... Well, not complicated. I should say, really high, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really high tech sort of stuff that's coming out of some of these some of these companies. You know, and, are we um, seeing Australian companies develop this technology too, or are we, are we really only seeing this come out of overseas? That, that's one of my bugbears. I'm not seeing a huge. I mean, there's there's a couple of Aussie companies doing some really cool things in in satellite imaging and imaging and a few few things, but I'm not seeing <clears throat> I'm not seeing a, a huge amount of. Australian companies getting into, as I said, to my, the people we use, I said, you know, South Africans, Israelis, 
US, even to even to some companies out of the UK. Um, so that's that's one of my bugbears, and that's probably something I'll look to try and get more involved in into the future as we sort of mm. expand. Um, because I'm not seeing a huge huge Australian sort of impact. I mean, it's like <clears throat> back from defence. It was I believe it's very difficult to get to get a uh, you know an idea into defence <clears throat> that's an Australian idea. If it's the US or whatever, you're like, yep, we'll buy 700 of those things because they're made. <laughs> it's the same in agriculture. I think people have like. Like oh, it's being made, it's being built in Israel. No worries at all. It's been built in the US. No worries at all. It must mean it's it's validated. Whereas if you get like, yeah. like in Australia, oftentimes there's this something about our psyche where we just don't necessarily trust it. So I, <clears throat> I'd love to challenge that that um, that sort of idea within within Australian agriculture over the next couple of years. Yeah, and it'd be it'd be good to see. You know, I think COVID's kind of pointed out that the more um, you know, term, the terms we keep using, sovereign capability. You know, profits retained in Australia, um, Australian made. You know, stuff. Um, there could be a bit of a bit of appetite for that. Hopefully, over the next you know, next couple of years. Hundred percent. That's why I find this Hazmat Drones project, which I'm sort of involved with, so interesting because there will be sovereign manufacturing of this device, this drone in a box thing, which can go across multiple industries. And I do think that's where we need to be. As a nation, we need to be a little bit more resilient. Uh, at what I call, and this is probably a little bit offensive, but what I call Australia is we act, we act like a uh, professional colony. You know, we've always almost always been a colony. <laughs> we we produce heaps of raw stuff, send it off to someone else to manufacture. You know, value add to it. Uh, I think into the future, the more vertically integrated we can become as a nation, because we've got some really really powerful. Um, sort of resources at our fingertips, but we just don't do that much with it. So the more the more vertically integrated, the more stuff we can do here in Australia to add value. I think will be you know not just better for us economically, but better for us in terms of national resilience to things like COVID and whatever else is on the horizon. And we've got to look after our farmers. We might as well uh, we might as well do some of this stuff in Australia and, uh, and and keep everyone you know keep all the profits in in Australia and keep everyone employed, which is which is a good thing. Hey, um, yeah, absolutely. We might start wrapping up there, um, Tristan, just uh, just for in lieu of time. But but uh, but I'd love to have you back again. You know, I think um, maybe potentially later in the year we can have a chat about you know considerations for employment, considerations for adoption. You know, what are what are some of the barriers that people may be thinking about, and, and maybe we can even um, get some you know get someone who you've worked with you know with some of this stuff and get them on and, and perhaps talk about how how well it's you know benefited them if, if that's something um, you'd be keen to do. Yeah, no, absolutely, It'd be a pleasure, Andrew. And so, um, before we sort of go, where can they, uh, where can my listeners sort of find you? So, if they want to reach out to you, where's the best place to find you and, and either say good day or, or reach out and um, and ask some questions? Yeah, so they can get, head on to uh, stevtech, S-T-E-V-T-E-C-H dot com dot au. That's our website. I'm also do a lot of work on Twitter. Who knew that farmers actually use Twitter more than any do other? Do they? Platform? Yeah, it's a real and and not just where we're at, uh, at stev under tech, underscore tech. <clears throat> on that, that's our Twitter handle there. But it's actually like Twitter's renowned for abuse and vitriol. But in the agricultural sector, it's actually a collaborative, really interesting system to be on. People are asking for advice and getting it from you know farmers and the industry. It's it's fascinating, <clears throat> a fascinating sub sub uh, sect of, of of Twitter, which is actually a really positive thing. So my Twitter I would feed, never have guessed that. <laughs> totally, either would I. Either would I. But it's actually a really positive, uh, uplifting. Twitter feed on me because I just follow all these farmers and agribusinesses and it's uh, it's fascinating. So <clears throat> Twitter or Facebook, we're there on Facebook as well. We'll have to make sure we uh, we get once I get this podcast out, we'll have to make sure we um, we push it out on on our Twitter um, handles as well and, and get people into it. Hundred percent. 
Hey, um, thanks, Tristan. Really appreciate your time, mate. Um, thanks for everything you do out there. I think it's really important, um, some of this stuff that people do to support our farmers, support our primary industries and support, you know, the, the Australians out west that have been doing it tough. So anything, anything we can do and, and anything the industry can do, you know, reach out and, and, and we'd be happy, certainly from a Mirrigan perspective, to help out where we can too. So thanks so much for your work, mate, and, uh, and hopefully we'll chat again soon. Perfect. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Cheers.